Welcome to episode 207 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Courtney Dock. I have been following Courtney on Twitter and I wanted to do this interview because I really loved her energy and her stories via Twitter and I thought that there had to be an interesting story about her service in the military and I wasn't wrong so I'm really excited that I had a chance to talk to Courtney about her experience in the Navy as a broadcast journalist and what she did and I loved her advice at the end of the episode to trust your gut when deciding if the military is right for you. Before we get started with this week's interview, I wanted to share an opportunity for anyone who's interested in starting their own podcast. I'm hosting a one-hour class on November 16th at noon Pacific, talking all about podcasting. This class will cover everything I wish I would have known when I was starting my podcasting journey, from how to figure out your topic, how to register your podcast on Apple Podcasts and other podcast apps, along with what equipment do you need to get started. So if you've ever thought about starting a podcast and want to learn more, sign up for this one-hour course at the link below. With that out of the way, let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Courtney. I'm so excited to have you here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? Oh, goodness. So I had just finished my third year in college, and I was kind of running low on figuring out how to pay for the rest of my college between that and, um, you know, it was 2004. So 9-11 had happened. The wars in Iraq, Afghanistan had happened, watching the shock and awe campaign in 2003, right? So watching those happen, it was kind of like, okay, I came home for summer break and I told my family, I'm like, okay, so here are my three things I think I want to do. I would like to either move to Colorado and work at a ski resort. I would like to go work on a cruise ship. And this was like before the, like the TV show below deck and the whole yachty life. Right. (laughs) So I was like, oh yeah, I'll work on a cruise ship. Or I think I'd like to join the Marines. And my family was just like, what? (laughs) Really was not really sure where that was going to go. And so I went to the recruiting office just because, and then ended up talking to the Navy recruiters first, took the ASVAB and said, hey, cool. And they said, well, how do you feel about nuclear engineering? And I laughed. I said, those are two words you should probably never say to me ever again if you'd like me to come back. And they're like, well, how about something else? I'm like, that's a good idea. I ended up joining the Navy in journalism and not with the Marine Corps because the Marines couldn't guarantee what job I could have before leaving for boot camp. And I was like, that seems like a risky gamble. Thanks for no thanks, guys. Ended up joining the Navy and had a really great positive experience in joining the Navy. That's great to hear. I was going to ask you, like, how did you not end up in the Marines? Because usually the Marines are like, I was joining the Marines. It was no matter what. And I guess when it's like, but you don't get to choose your job, it kind of makes it a little harder. Yeah, at that time, they weren't really willing to like guarantee that I would have a certain job. And, you know, you have to take into consideration the time, right? And that the deployments and where, where did they really need personnel and especially women, So, and I was kind of in between uh, working in communications, but I had like a half a moment of like, "Hmm, maybe I'd like to go into criminal justice, which the Marines were like ready to jump on. And I was like, whoa, (laughs) maybe not my life choice that I'm ready to like hitch my wagon to. Whereas the Navy were like, 
journalism. That's communications. How do you feel about that? I'm like, done. That sounds a better option. And is that what you're doing today? Yeah. Okay. So um, I joined the Navy as a JO, a journalist. Um, and then they changed the rates to MC. That really gave me the foundation that once I got out of the Navy, I started working for the Army as a civilian. And I've been in the public affairs career field ever since. So really, since 2004, I've been working in the public affairs career field. And it's been great. It's been a exciting adventure so far. I was going to go back to you said you were like three years into college. So you were almost done yeah. with college. Did you ever consider like becoming an officer or is it just enlistment? I did. I did. So no one in my family has military experience. Like the last time anybody in my family had served in the military was World War II, right? So there was no one truly around to really give me any kind of guidance. And then I really did not think to do a whole lot of Google searching, right? Because again, this is 2004. So Google's around, but not the way that it is, right? So I really didn't think much of it. And then obviously the enlisted recruiter is not about to like lose a a good one on the hook and say, Hey, you should consider officers. And he was more like, Hey, you can finish your degree in the Navy. And I'm like, cool. So I didn't really think about it until after I had joined, it was still very much in the, in the window for me to consider. And then I ended up kind of just changing courses a little bit. I liked where I was going. I was kind of on a path to really well if you knew me and if you met me you know that like if I want to be in something I want to be the number one person right so at that time it was okay if I'm enlisted then I want to be the Mick Vaughn right like that's my end goal like that's how I'm going to retire is Master Chief Petty Officer of the Navy so it didn't dawn on me once I had that goal in mind to change over to the officers I just think it's interesting because you were like so far along in your degree that it would have been an easy. I mean, you only had like one year left. And- I know. <laughs> you would think, you know, and it ended up working out really well for me. And it's simply because there's nothing wrong with going officer. And I think the the officers and officers who serve as public affairs officers are amazing. But they have a very specific job and role and responsibility, especially in the Navy. And it is straight public affairs. They are not getting to do a lot of the true, like, day-to-day operations of, like, creating news stories and news packages and going out and filming things and taking photos and producing TV. And I got to do that when I was enlisted. So because of that though and i i really went in a broadcast journalism track within the navy in the in the enlisted side because of all of that hands-on experience once i got out of the navy and started moving in the more public affairs career side of the house i had that foundational experience that really has helped propel me into my current position now so it it was all for the best yeah that's one of the things i talked about in my book, The Girl's Guide to Military Service, is that the job, like it might sound the same, like public affairs, you can do that enlisted officer, but the job that you do is very different because like officers are more like managing and then the enlisted get to go out in the field and take the pictures and write the stories. And so it is really important when you're looking at your, if you should enlist or if you should be an officer, like not just oh, I have my degree or whatever. Like you should look and find the right job for you. And I think that's really important. And it was the right job for me, simply. Uh, And I can't imagine my life where I'm at now at this point in my life 
if I had made any other different, different choice, like it, it was the right choice at the right time that has led me all the right steps to a very, very happy and fulfilling life, really. That's so awesome to hear. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about you went to basic training. Did you go to Great Lakes? Yeah, I left for Great Lakes like right after Thanksgiving. So it was freezing cold. I was there for Christmas and New Year's, which was fine with me. I'm not someone that spends a whole lot of energy around a lot of the holidays. So it was okay for me. Not everyone fared as well during the holiday season going to boot camp. And my boot camp instructor was pretty intense and pretty hardcore. So uh, there was some tears on Christmas Day. And uh, my boot camp instructor, um, his response was, if you'd like to sing a Christmas song, we can all sing one Christmas song. And then he started singing Anchors Away, right? (laughs) That's your Christmas carol. Welcome to the Navy. You're going to miss other holidays and you're just going to have to deal. I was like, okay, that's where we're at with life. Okay. I didn't feel like I made any mistakes. I think there were others around me that were like, oh my gosh, what did I do? It was fine. It worked. It was like, this is the Navy. This is your life. You're like, oh, a Christmas carol. That's not really what I was going for. (laughs) Not really what I thought it was going to be, but okay. And then after you graduated from basic training, did you head to Denfo's? Yeah. Yep. I left straight out of boot camp and ended up at Dinfos at Fort Meade, Maryland in February of 05 and then got put into a class right away. I lucked out. Again, I, I was always really lucky. I didn't have a lot of holdover, which is really typical, especially in those early months in the, that early phase of enlistments. You can often get held over at boot camp waiting to get sent to your, your training or once you get to training, you're held over before you get put into a class. And then after your graduation, you're still held. I never had that. It was, you're here, you're here for a week, you're in process, boom, you're into the class. As soon as class one is done, you're into the class two, because there was two phases back then. It was boom, 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 boom. And then as soon as that was done, it was, you graduated, here's your two weeks of personal leave, and then you're off to your duty station. So it worked out really well. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And I realized that I said DENFOS and didn't talk. Yeah. It's the defense information school. So it is where um, everyone in the military, it doesn't really matter your service. If you are in the public affairs career field or anything to do with really telling the military story, you're all sent to the same schoolhouse and that it's taught. So that way everyone gets the basics. And then there's some specific service related items, but also DENFOS teaches outside of the DOD. So they do have some specialty there. And then they also train international military students, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it's so easy when it's like, oh, you're PA. Okay. You went to DENFOS because like everybody (laughs) does it and it's all the same for all the branches, but it's really cool. It's a small community. Um, and it's a small community, especially, um, just not even just with your individual service, but as a whole. And so you end up really kind of getting to know a lot of people in your graduating class. And as you all grow in your careers, it's kind of fun to watch everyone and go, oh yeah, I know that guy. I remember him or I remember her. Oh, cool. So it's kind of nice in that way. Yeah. And it's different branches. So like you get to see people from like, which is very different than almost every other tech school is like your branch only. And then it's similar. You get to see people, but it's only people within your branch. And I think it's cool that the PA yeah. mixes you guys all together. It is pretty cool. 
So after you graduated from Dinfos, what was your first assignment? I wanted this one too. It was, here's a list of all the places you could get stationed. And I picked Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. That's where I wanted to go. And I said, sign me up. And it was like the place that no one wanted to go to. (laughs) So I don't know whether that was the right choice or not. It worked out for me. So I went to Gitmo out of Dimfos, right out of the training school. So I was there for a year and a half. It counted back in the day, again, it counted as sea duty. So, you know, when you're in the Navy and you come out of your, your training school, based off of your job, your rate, you have a certain amount of sea duty time versus shore duty time that you're supposed to have. And they want to try to get you to see as quickly as possible. Because quite simply, that's what the Navy's all about, right? The Navy is the sea duty service, right? You're going to sea, right? So um, they put me in a sea duty billet, but it was on shore. It was remote. Guantanamo Bay is at that time, there was maybe about 5,000 people. It's secluded. It requires a plane ride. You cannot leave the base. If you're leaving the base, you're flying either to Jamaica or Puerto Rico or back to Florida. That's it. You're not going into the country. So it is very secluded. And so in that way, it was similar to air care, aircraft carrier life of only 5,000 people and you're secluded and to get off, you're hitting a port or you're taking a plane. That's that's it when you're out to sea. So there were some similarities and then really wonderful big differences, like the fact that it was beautiful. There's plenty of beach time on the weekends and you get to hang out with some friends and it was a cool duty station. Yeah, that sounds really neat. What was your job at Guantanamo Bay? Yeah. So I was a radio DJ. I worked at the radio station. And again, this is a really secluded, out of the way, isolated base. And there is a radio station that has three radio channels. And again, this is back before satellite radio. So the three radio stations is all you get. Two FM stations and one AM station. And I ran the two FM stations. I got to pick the music that went on. I got to DJ the shows. I put together like news updates of like, hey, a go-kart track is finally open and come on down. right? <laughs> and hey, there's like this event going on at the Windjammer, um, you know, or there's a blue jacket car wash for the ball, right? So that's what you were doing. And it was very cool and very unique. And my music knowledge of 2005 to 2007 is really good because those were the years I radio DJed. <laughs> I'm not surprised you said that because I interviewed someone else who was PA on Guantanamo Bay and that was her job. She was the radio DJ and she actually was the DJ when September 11th happened and she had the job of like telling everybody what was going on because yeah. everyone listened to the radio and it was like, yeah, yeah. And a pivotal. So I remember her yeah. story is kind of pivotal. Yeah. So I was actually in Gitmo um, during Hurricane Katrina and it clipped us before it made landfall in the U.S. And it was picking up steam and we all had to hunker down for a few days. And the entire staff at the radio station that we all had to sleep at the radio station to include our families. So learning about bringing and preparing your hurricane basket was a very real thing. And then watching the news as it passed us and we were relatively unscathed to then watch the impact of it hitting the stateside was incredible. And then to, again, having to report on it, like, yes, it passed us, but let's keep in mind, you know, those of us and our loved ones that are back in the states that are impacted. 
Um, and at the time, we also had um, a CV unit on the island. They had rotated out and the ones that came after them had just come from the one of the parishes that was impacted uh, along the coast. So, I mean, there's definitely some significant ties. And so you, you know, yeah, it's fun. You know, you are, you're talking about go-karts one day, but there is real news that you do end up having to report. And I will, I will remember that, that story because of that moment. Yeah, that's so true. See, it's like things like that where it's like, oh, it's such a fun job. But then like also it was real reporting where you were like, you know, sleeping at the radio station and focusing on like preparing for a hurricane and all. That's that's really interesting. It's the variety of things that you can do in the PA career field is so interesting and different and exciting. It really is. No day is the same. Let me tell you. So you said you were there for a year and a half, and then where did you go next? Yeah, and so again, back to that shore duty, sea duty rotation, I still needed another 18 more months of sea duty. Um, And so I was selected to go out to the USS Ronald Reagan, which at the time was um, home ported in San Diego, North Island. And so, and that at the time that ship was the newest aircraft carrier in the fleet. It had only been commissioned about a year and a half, a couple of years, maybe. And it was coming back from its second or third deployment. So I caught up with it just as it came home from a deployment. So I got to be there to help with the crew changeover as people were PCSing, going through yard time, if you will, where you know, you've got to do significant maintenance on the aircraft carrier. So that was six months of work on the ship and doing um, a lot of just maintenance on the ship. Six months of workups. So you prepare for deployments. So you go out for a couple of weeks and come back out and back and then six months of deployment. So it was 18 months in six month segments. And so when you guys were doing like the work on the ship, were you out? You're not doing stories. You're out like chipping paint and cleaning decks and I don't know what else the Navy does but I know it's hard work yes that was literally it yes so um not as much on the storytelling I mean other than the fact that you're telling a story about chipping paint that's not a really a news grab and attention seeking uh, story so yeah I have worked a needle gun to bring up the non-skid deck I have helped you know paint help lay down some decking like the deck tiles and things like that so there's a lot of work it's not like, oh, the ship comes in and the sailors get off and then some other, you know, contract team comes and does the work. No, the sailors on a ship have a responsibility. This is where you live. This is where you work and you will participate because, you know, it, it needs all hands to be a success. And then how did your job change when you were like out at sea? Did you, I mean, I'm sure you still had responsibilities being a sailor. Like you said, it's where you live, where you work, but how did it change when you were out to sea? Yeah. So by that point, I had moved into kind of the role of running the TV studio on the ship. So an aircraft carrier, you know, the Navy has different classes of ships and the aircraft carrier is obviously the largest and the most bougie, if you will, right? right? We have the most stuff. So we do have an entire TV studio on the ship. And so there's a part of that that's the newsmaking responsibilities of you're your covering stories around the ship to send back to the Navy to kind of talk a little bit about the Navy story and what are we doing. But it's also a little bit of the entertainment, you know, the quality of life, the morale and welfare of the sailors when you're doing the workups and then also with deployment. So you're 
doing a weekly newscast and a captain's call so that the captain can communicate with the, the entire staff of all the sailors on the ship. You're also playing movies. You know, you're playing music for people and, and also helping put out information as much as you can to the sailors. That sounds like such a cool job. You got to be a radio DJ, then you got to work like in a TV. That's the other thing about the military. You get to do so much that normal people don't get to do. I know. It It was awesome. It was a really cool job, really. And then during the workups, we have what's called Distinguished Visitors Program. And so the Navy coordinates a program where we bring community leaders from all over the U.S. um, and they get flown out to the aircraft carrier uh, while we're out for a couple of days and they stay maybe, you know, 24 hours. And so we really show them from bow to stern, the whole ship, port starboard, you're going to get the whole kit and caboodle of what it's like to be on an aircraft carrier in 24 hours. You're going to be eating in the various mess decks and really getting to experience what life is like on an aircraft carrier for really all ranks. And so I got to work with the public affairs officer and really working that program and doing tours. And it was a lot of fun for me. I really liked it. Not everybody likes that duty. I really liked it because I got to see the ship from somebody who's never seen a Navy ship before often. Right. Like, and so every time I get to experience the ship from their perspective, it was great. It was like a renewed excitement of like, yeah, that's right. This is awesome. I'm so glad you think it's cool because it is cool. Right. And so that was always really helpful. I think to me, you know, during the monotony sometimes of being out all at sea sometimes can feel monotonous, but when you get to see it from their perspective, It was just really nice. Yeah, that's really cool. So are there any other stories from your time, either through the workup or from the deployment that you want to share before we go to, I'm guessing, shore duty? Yeah. You know, it was awesome. I think, you know, everybody has a different perspective in the Navy on how to how to enjoy your port visits. For me, particularly, I had a very specific system in that I would eat only one American meal at every port, right? Like, so when you pull into Busan, Korea, and you hit the Bennigan's, that's the one American meal. And it's because the ship food is, "Eh," and you're like, "Eh," right? And so you just want a small taste of home. So I would do that for every port visit, just one. And then everything else, it was whatever was a local food. And oftentimes, because it was a Westpac tour, I couldn't even come close to deciphering what the menu had to say. Again, this is before Google Translate on a cell phone. So it's just a point and pray with the pictures on the menu and go, I hope it's great. (laughs) And it was, it was wonderful. So something like that, as well as, you know, you only have so many days in a port. I would also just say my system at least was go at least on one day of like the MWR tours because they are going to take you to a place you're never going to have an opportunity to see again and experience again. And it was phenomenal. I got to see some really cool stuff in some really amazing countries. And I'm so grateful for that. Yeah, it's really cool to hear about the different places that people get to go when they're out at sea because 
it is it's like places that you're never gonna go again and you get to just go there for free and then you know and then do the MWR tour and get to see and experience and I love that you had the rule like I get a little bit of home because we're you know I the navy food is not home food (laughs) and then you would go and like experience the culture and try different things so that sounds really cool it was good balance so after you came home, then you PCS and where did you go? Yeah, I literally, I mean, whatever I could, I started mailing stuff off the ship to my next duty station. I was like, okay, I got to unload all of this. And as soon as I walked off the brow of the ship, that was it. Like once I walked off, I was done. And then I PCS and I moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. So I went from San Diego to the Washington DC area. And I was stationed at the Pentagon channel. So I was a broadcast journalist at the Pentagon channel. So again, you know, to talk a little bit about when you asked about why did I not go officer? Why did I stay enlisted? It, it ended up being the right building blocks, right? I started off as a radio DJ and then a TV, you know, studio on a ship. And then I worked at the Pentagon channel, which was the DOD's broadcasting channel for the entire Department of Defense, right? And I was a broadcast journalist. I got to be on air for some of those stories, but then I also got to produce my own daily television show, right? And so no other way was that ever going to be a thing if I had not gone on the track that I was on. And let me tell you, producing a a daily TV show, even not even compared to a a CNN or a Fox or any of those types of like large channels. Right. But just in general, it is a trip and it like teaches you a lot of really quick thinking skills. And so, yeah, it it, it was just such a wonderful, wonderful experience to be there. Yeah. I I can imagine like it's so much work to create a weekly podcast. And so to think (laughs) of like daily, I'm like, Oh, goodness just like to find the stories and like produce it and like everything that goes into it yeah and so you know thinking about a daily television show it was 15 minutes so that's good you know that I had other friends that worked on the 30 minute segments um that's like twice as long and you're like oh my gosh right but in my brain I can still like I know exactly how many frames I need for a second I need how many seconds is my intro my outro how to back time a show I still have those skills. And then also, you know, the show was specifically focused on Iraq and Afghanistan and what was happening at that time. And so again, you have to think about the timeline that was about the end of 2008 and the beginning of 2009 by the time I got to the Pentagon channel. So that's the height of a lot of that war, a lot of um, increase in troops. And so because of that, there was a lot, a lot going on, a lot of news coming out of, of those two zones, those two war zones. So I felt like I was contributing. And while I did not deploy to those areas by any means, I felt like I was at least contributing somewhat to the mission to help communicate what was going on for some of those service members that were deployed to those zones. Yeah, that's such an important topic to be talking about because I, the media doesn't always do a good job of like explaining what's going on and so that fact that you guys were dedicated and focused on that is really it's really encouraging yeah and you know I I never deployed like I said to either of those countries you know I never had a Middle Eastern uh tour or into Afghanistan at all in any way but 
I followed the story well enough that I can be aware at least of what was going on during those times. So while I can never know exactly, I at least can empathize at least somewhat what some of my fellow service members were working through and doing as their jobs um, deployed. So it's important. And, you know, our nation spent 20 years fighting some of these wars, right? So it's, it's an important part of our history and our, our, our military. So I was glad to be a part of it. I watched a lot of Pentagon press briefings, like a lot. And I really now at this point in my time, I can tell time based off of administrations. I also can tell time based off of like, who was the chief staff of the army at the time? Who was the CNO at the time, right? Like who was in charge at what? Who was the chairman of the joint chiefs? And so I really have a good idea and can tell time based off of who was in charge when. And how long were you doing that job? So I was there for three years to the end of my Navy time. Um, And so I ended up getting out of the Navy at the end of my like three years at the Pentagon Channel. And you mentioned earlier that you were going to retire as like the top Navy enlisted person. So I got to know what happened. (laughs) What happened there? So, you know, the military changes all the time, right? It is an ever changing environment. The Navy at the time was going through what was called Perform to Surf, and it was supposed to be um, a program built for right-sizing the Navy, making sure that we had the right numbers of people. My year group just so happened that they just didn't have enough slots for everybody. And because I had promoted when I had, um, I was in a cycle that there just wasn't all that many slots available for us. So it was either get out or change my rate, change my job. And the jobs that were offered, um, (laughs) this is so funny to me, still to this day, one of the jobs that was offered was uh, cryptology. Um, So, you know, that's like somebody that's in job, you know, keeping the Navy secrets and doing a lot of like secret stuff with a lot of clearances and things like that. And I was like, I don't know if the Navy's met me. Like, you've just trained me for seven years to tell the Navy story. The Pandora's box is open. I cannot be quiet. Not going to be a thing, guys. (laughs) So I ended up choosing the the better route for me at the time was to get out versus uh, try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Like, that was just not going to work. So just like when the Marine Corps was like, just join. It's fine. (laughs) You were like, oh, no. And then the Navy's like you need a new job. How about this one? Mm, No. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, it was very hard on me and very mentally emotional at the time. I was really not ready to end my time with the Navy. And it really did feel like almost like a divorce. Um, it, it was really not what I had pictured right? I I really hadn't, but it worked out really well. And and I'm not bitter about it. I'm not upset about it. And and I'm not ever, I've only once ever thought, huh, I wonder what would have been. And only because like five years later, I ran into somebody I had deployed with on the ship who said to me, oh my gosh, you'd be like a senior chief by now. Like all of your peers are like chiefs. You'd be a senior chief by now. Like, don't you miss it? I'm like, yeah. Thanks a lot. Now I want to shove you off a ship. Thanks for bringing that up. But in general, though, um, I, I, I don't, I don't regret what happened or how it worked out because it, I think it worked out for me just fine. 
I just read an article and someone was talking about how she was ready to leave the military. And I was like, oh, I think that's a problem a lot of veterans have is like even I chose to get out of the military and it was because my son was being born and I was like, Mm -hmm. it's the right time. And but emotionally, I wasn't ready. And so it was really hard. And so I was like, that's an interesting like maybe it's that we're like mentally ready, but we're not emotionally ready and we don't really realize what's happening. It sounds like yours was kind of like last minute and not planned. It was not what I was expecting. I also had my daughter in that year. So I had had a baby and then was given notice that I was not staying in the Navy. And it was like, oh my gosh, what will I do? (laughs) Oh my Lanta, I have a child that I have to figure out what I'm doing with my life. Oh no. So it was a little harrowing. Things got a little intense there. (laughs) Worked out fine though, I promise. And were you a single mom? I know you're a single mom now. I was married at the time. um, And so then uh, I actually... (laughs) We met in Guantanamo Bay and then we got married just before I was on the Reagan and then had the baby when I was at Pentagon Channel. And let me tell you, if you haven't had a baby in a military hospital, you ain't living yet, girlfriend, (laughs) especially when it's a training hospital and it's like you're like a clown car. Everybody's coming in to check under the hood. You're like, whoa. So that was an experience. (laughs) Not one I'd ever want to do again, but you know, it worked. And then um, I got out. So had a baby, got divorced from the Navy. And then after divorce from the Navy, then a divorce from my then husband. So it's a lot of change. <laughs> it was intense. Um, you know, and my daughter and I talk about that now, you know, she she's reading some books in school that just make her think a lot. And it, it create some empathy for other kids that are going through a lot of change. And she, she has a really great life right now. And this is all that she knows. And she's like, was there ever time that things were not good like this? I'm like, Oh, yeah, honey. (laughs) Some really intense years back then. Like that was not awesome. And it was not easy back then. So yeah, we just moved. I told you that before we started this interview, and my kids are nine and six. And so it's really this is like their first move where it's like they have friends and like pe- their the people that they're going to school with have clicks because my my mm-hmm. nine year old was in kindergarten so like everyone was yeah. new and so yeah. my first grader is making tons of friends but my nine year old he's having a lot more barriers breaking in and it's like yeah. I'm really glad this is our last move hopefully yeah. because I'm like it's just gonna get harder and harder on these kids yeah. and. You know, I don't think that I have, I don't predict any more moves for us. I mean, I'm kind of in a career track where I think I know where I'm going to be and it'll probably still be in this area. So I don't predict any more moves for her. So I think that that's really helpful. It provides some serious stability, you know, just God bless those families and those kids that have had to go through that. It's, it's not easy. It's not fun, you know, and, and I know we talk about resilience for kids and for families, but Ultimately, though, it is hard. It really is hard. And so I'm I'm really grateful, again, that things have worked out really well for me and that it's in a position where I don't have to put that put her through those right now. Yeah, there's so many like grown up conversations that you have to have with your kids when you're moving across the country. And it's like, it's really hard. So the military life is challenging. I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. 
So let's talk a little bit more about your transition. How did you end up in the job that you're doing today? So again, transitioning out of the Navy was not what I had expected. Um, And so I was really emotionally struggling with it. But I also, because I had a brand new baby, I have a lot of grit. So I really dug in deep and said, okay, let's shove the emotions to the side. Let's focus on the reality of what needs to get done. And that is employment and stability. And so I went to a transition assistance, you know, class that was required at the time. It was a week long, really focused in on resume writing and networking. I happen to be a type of person who thrives in a networking environment So because of that, I think I did very well. I probably nagged every single human being that I've ever met in my entire life in that like six to eight month timeline where every single person I spoke to, I would tell them I'm transitioning out of the Navy. I'm looking for a job in this career field. This is where I'm looking to live. Do you know anything? Do you know anyone that might know something? And I I wish that I was kidding, but it was literally you know, like met somebody at the grocery store, started chatting. Oh, by the way, I'm Courtney and I'm transitioning out of the Navy. This is what I'm doing. Do you know anyone, you know, a freelancer that's in the Pentagon channel that's just trying to work for a day, you know, filling in for editing video. Oh, do you know anybody? I'm actually getting out of the Navy and I'm looking for a job in this time frame. Like people were like, oh my God, if this woman, if we don't give her a job, she will not shut up. So, <laughs> so but it paid off, baby. Let me tell you one of the military bases here in the DC area, they had an event and one of our um, videographers from the Pentagon channel was supposed to go to cover it. And there was some scheduling conflicts. So the, the public affairs officer from the military base called the news desk where I was working and talked to my civilian boss and was working out the schedule conflict. And then she said to her, do you know any veterans who are transitioning out at the end of the year? I need to hire a new PAO and I would love to use veterans preference. Do you know someone? And she literally stood up, looked at me and said, I'm looking at her right now. She's perfect for you. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) touchdown baby. (laughs) So it worked out really well. Um, And because of that, I, I had moved straight over into the army civilian Uh, public affairs career field. And back then you didn't have to wait the six month waiting period between active duty and government service. And so I literally was only unemployed a total of five days. My last duty day in the Navy was November 30th. And then the start of the pay period for the GS job was December 5th. It was five days, baby. Couldn't have planned that better for textbook. Like it was... Perfect. The PAO at the at the base was wonderful. She had been a military spouse and then she got divorced. She was a single mom. She raised her daughter um, for a lot of years as a single mom. She was a PAO. And so she set me up for success as soon as I got to the installation. She knew right away that I was there and I was a mover and a shaker. Like, okay. Let's get this girl to the second round of Denfos classes. Let's give her all this opportunity to do all these different jobs here at the base. And because of that, it helped set a really good foundation in the Army public affairs community to from Navy coming to Army. And I, I didn't go to Army boot camp. So I didn't know a battalion from a brigade. I didn't know any of this, right? Like 
oh my god I can't remember the army rank like I don't know what any of this is and so that foundation at the installation level for army public affairs was perfect couldn't have asked for anything else better and so from there again just networking doing really well in my job I also because of the timing of everything and because of my age and I was very young still compared to a lot of my civilian colleagues I was very into social media and social media was finally growing in the DOD and you know the military was finally having a social media presence where you had 50 and 60 year old people that are like I don't even know what Facebook is I'm like boom I got you I got you kids I know Twitter I know Facebook let me do this and so because of that skill, I was able to transition into and networking into my next job and then into my next job and into my next job. Like all of that, again, just the building blocks to the next job and the next job. So, yeah. I love how you talked about networking and you talked about like how you would tell everyone and like, I mean, you're kind of embarrassed about it, but like, that's what you need to do. Like if you tell people, then they know how to help you. And when you work with other military or veterans, like we're kind of ingrained to help people. So if we know that someone needs a job and then we find out about it, we get so excited because we can help that person. But if you had just been like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And you didn't tell anyone, then she wouldn't have even known that you, you know, she might've been like, oh, she's getting out. But like, it was obvious to her. Like, I know who I'm going to go look at her right now. I found you a job. I found you. Like, I know, I know exactly who it is that you need to hire. Exactly. And so it really worked out. But because of that experience, I am super duper focused on being a connector myself. If I know someone who is looking, I am always keeping my eyes open and sending them something, or I'm always happy to help make a connection to the next person because somebody did that for me. And somebody did that for me, not just with that first entry job, but a lot of other connections and a lot of other jobs. And if it weren't for that, I don't think I would have succeeded. I mean, yes, I'm a hard worker and yes, you know, not to toot my own horn, but yes, I I do well at what I do. But ultimately, it is about relationship building and fostering positive relationships where people want to help you and you want to help others. And that was the key to my success. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm so glad we got to meet. I've been following you on Twitter and (laughs) I just think it's so fun to like watch you and hear your stories. And so I'm so glad we got to do this interview. But I like to end each interview with my advice question. So what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering joining the military? I might get emotional because I think a lot about my daughter, right? We talk a lot about military service and whether it's the right choice for her someday or not. And, you know, you think about young women today, right, that are in high school or in college right now trying to figure out, is this the right choice? I don't know. I I can't tell you whether it's the right choice. Only you and your gut is going to be able to tell you if this is the right choice and you have to listen to your gut. I, that's, I think what made it possible for me to have such a successful military career and a post-military career is that I listened to my gut to say, no, the Marine Corps was not the right option. The Navy was the right option. Right. And so if, if you're considering it, I think it's awesome. I think there there are so many benefits out there for women to succeed and do well in the military. There's a lot of 
trouble. There's a lot of, a lot of issues. There's a lot of things that can improve, but it's only as good as those who join our voluntary force. Right. And that it takes those types of people who can, can look past some of the the hard times and the issues that are going to want to be there as a part of the team to improve the system and improve the system from inside. So if that's who you are and you want to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself and that you know that you're going to get something out of it. If you put something into it, then yeah, the military can definitely be for you, but you have to follow your own instincts. You have to know what you want and what you don't want. And if it doesn't work for you anymore, then it doesn't work for you anymore. And that's okay. Yeah. That's one of the resounding themes that I tried to put into my new book, the girl's guide to military service, because it is, it's so important that you pick what's right for you and like having to figure out, how to figure out what's right for you and knowing that like before the military tells you what's right for you is really important because if you know what you want then you can get it but if you're like I don't know I'm just gonna follow whatever this person tells me then you could end up at a job that just isn't the right fit for you and what you want at a certain phase in life is not the same thing as what you're gonna want at a different phase of life right what you want when you're in your 20s is going to be very different than what you want in your forties when you got, you know, middle school kids, it's very different. Um, And so paying attention to when your wants change too. It's very important. Talk about that too in the book, Mm -hmm. because it's like, you can go in with a goal that you want to get your GI bill benefits. And like, then you end up loving the military and you want to stay, well, you can change your mind. Like you can, (laughs) but setting a goal and like having a focus point is to help you to know where you want to go. But if life changes and things happen, you can always pivot and go in a new direction. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed getting this interview. No problem. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to this week's interview. I'm really thankful that you took the time to listen to this episode. And I wanted to tell you about two resources that may help you in your journey of military service. And so the first is my new book, A Girl's Guide to Military Service, which is available at the link in the show notes on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can go check it out. It's A Girl's Guide to Military Service. It's meant to help you answer all your questions about military life and give you a firm foundation for the start of your career. And if you're looking for mentorship or want to be a mentor, please check out the Women of the Military Mentorship Program, which is also linked to in the show notes. You can sign up to be a mentee or a mentor. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.